There are a number of homeless people living in the streets in Boulder, Colorado, where I live. They come to Boulder in part because the streets are safe, there's a shelter in town, and law enforcement is in general gentle with them. There are homeless folks who are mentally ill and suffer from perhaps schizophrenia or severe depression or perhaps have personality disorders. There are many homeless people who've simply suffered a long series of calamities in their lives. Many homeless people have lost jobs and were not able to find new ones. There are many homeless people who actually work, some of them even full-time, but they simply can't earn enough at minimum wage to rent an apartment. And there really only are a few who simply don't want to have the constraints of a home and a job and choose to live on the streets because that's how they want to live. Homeless people typically have no health insurance, and they usually wait until there's an extreme crisis before getting medical attention. Then they head for the emergency room, They're often brought in by police and by EMTs. I see them frequently at the hospital. Sometimes they're having toes and fingers or even legs amputated because of frostbite. Sometimes they're suffering from alcohol or drug withdrawal. Sometimes they're in the latter stages of serious illnesses like cancer or COPD, which have gone untreated for many years. Most homeless people have been disowned by their families, or at least they haven't had any contact with any family members in many years, sometimes decades. Nurses don't like to see anyone die alone, and so I'm sometimes called to sit with a dying homeless person. Since they've generally been rejected by society because they smell bad, are wearing rags, and push their worldly goods around in shopping carts, and also because they're thought to be dangerous, homeless people often react with surprise or even deep gratitude when I simply touch them. This is something that you learn as a chaplain, to touch the people you care for. Recently, there was a homeless man who suffered from some sort of seizure disorder, and he needed medical care. He made it on his own all the way to the main entrance of the hospital, not the emergency entrance. And then he had a seizure just outside the main doors. A call came out on the hospital sound system saying that, an emergency team was needed in the main lobby. Chaplains answer these sorts of calls in case the person needs comforting or more likely because there's a family member who's distraught. When this particular incident happened, the hospital was extremely busy. The emergency room was literally full. The ICU was full and the hospital was short-staffed. So when I went to the lobby in response to this call, instead of finding a full medical team, I found just a single respiratory therapist had gotten there ahead of me. 
A doctor and a charge nurse from the ER arrived a couple of minutes later, but at first it was the respiratory therapist who cared for this man. She made sure that he was breathing, and really all I could do was sit on the floor next to him and take his hand and assure him that he was going to be cared for. I have something very simple to share about this event, and so I'll get back to this. Let's call this homeless man who was having a seizure, Jackson. I'm changing details of the story to protect his privacy. There's a miracle story that's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here's the Luke version. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she wasn't hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's very obvious what's going on here, with the exception of one subtlety that has to do with the social environment in which this woman was living. This woman has had vaginal bleeding for 12 years. She has spent every penny she has on doctors, but nothing has worked. Then she simply touches the fringe of Jesus' garment and she's instantly healed. Jesus immediately responds by wanting to know who has just touched him. Peter explains that all kinds of people are touching him. They're pressing in on him from all sides because they want to be close to him. But Jesus instinctively knows the difference between an incidental touch and a deliberate, faith-filled touch. The woman, who has tried to remain hidden, realizes that she's been noticed by Jesus, and so she reluctantly identifies herself. Jesus explains that her faith has healed her. She knew that if she simply touched his clothing, and if she did it with a prayer for healing in her mind, a miracle would happen. So what's the subtlety in this story? Why was she reluctant to identify herself? In Jewish society at that time, a woman was considered unclean when she was menstruating. She was told that she could not be around other people. Since this woman had been bleeding for 12 years, 
she had been ostracized from society for 12 years. Jesus didn't just cure her medical problem. He allowed her to re-enter society and be accepted by her family and her friends again. The point is that because of the rules of her society, she had spent a dozen years thinking of herself as being unworthy, of being subhuman. She had led a life of degradation. Jesus heals her in a truly profound fashion. Now I'd like to get back to Jackson. He was having a lot of trouble talking because of his seizure. He was taken in a wheelchair to the emergency room. All of the rooms there were full. The ER was filled with loud voices, EMTs rolling patients in, and medical personnel rushing about. The only room that didn't have someone in it was a room reserved for violent or uncontrolled patients. These were often people who had been brought in by the police because they had overdosed or who had committed a crime while on drugs. And yes, these were often folks who had been living on the streets. The room had zero furniture in it so that nothing could be picked up and weaponized. All that was in the room was a soft pad on the floor. The man was laid down on it. I knelt down next to him and explained that he wasn't there in that room because he had done anything wrong. I told him that the ER was full and there was no other room to put him in. He nodded and he thanked me. I waited with Jackson for just a couple of minutes while a medical team got him situated and began to treat him for his seizure. He was treated with respect. I told him that I had to go, that there was a patient in the ICU that I had to go see. Jackson, who was wearing ragged clothes that were much too warm for the climate, and who had matted hair, reached out and grabbed my arm. In his barely audible voice, he said this, Thank you for touching me. Most of us live like the crowd that gathered around Jesus. If we could go back in time and walk along with Jesus, we would willingly join in with the throng of folks who are trying to be near him. We would jostle him as he struggles to walk by and go about his business. We do that now in our lives. Maybe we go to church. We sense the presence of God either strongly or perhaps only very mildly. But we're just brushing up against God, up against Jesus, almost by accident. And Peter's there with us, too, acting as a bodyguard and a chaperone, helping Jesus push his way through the crowd. We're missing our opportunity to truly touch Jesus in a meaningful way. What we should be doing is acting more deliberately. We shouldn't settle for just being in a crowd that's swarming around Jesus. But it's not necessary to stick our hands out and get Jesus' full attention. We don't have to drag him aside and sit him down in a lazy boy chair and make him talk to us one-on-one. -on -one. 
we can do what that woman who was bleeding did. Our contact with Jesus, with God, can be very subtle and very simple and very quick. But it must be deliberate. It must be goal-oriented. It must be intentional. We can simply touch the fringe of his garment, but we must do so with a firm desire to make contact with our Creator. Don't just mill around and bump into Jesus. One more thing. This fringe that the woman touched, now what was it? The Greek word in the Bible is kraspidu. It means fringe or border or tassel. Most likely, it refers to the trim that Jews of the day often put on their clothing. It was religious in nature, and it served as a constant reminder of their dependence on and their unwavering faith in God. That's what this bleeding woman touched. It was highly symbolic that she happened to touch this fringe when she reached out for his clothing. She was touching his essence as a person of faith. She was connecting with him in a seemingly minor fashion, with it only lasting for an instant. But it was not casual. It was a very deliberate and a very highly successful attempt at connecting with Jesus, the God. She didn't just brush up against Jesus, the man. That's our goal. That's why we pray. It's why we read the Bible. It's why we sometimes wear crosses around our necks or put them on the walls of our homes. If you'd like to know how to make contact with God, with Jesus, in a more deliberate, more focused fashion, if you want to know how to truly touch the fringe of God's garment, here's the secret. It's actually very easy to do. That woman didn't have to go through some monumental effort and shove aside a crowd of people and pull Jesus aside and then come up with some deep, complex, meaningful thing to say to him. She just reached out silently through the crowd and touched his craspadu. You can, of course, do this with your mind, not your hand. The best thing to do is to do it over and over many times during the day. Stop. Ignore the world around you and focus on the fringe of God's garment. Then touch it. Make sure you're deliberate. Tell yourself that you value that constant, intermittent gift of being able to simply reach out and touch God. As you do it over and over, it'll feel more real to you. It's a great companion to praying. Praying takes time and a somewhat prolonged focus. This is something that you can do throughout the day without any real-time commitment at all. Let it become a habit. It will serve as a reminder that you are indeed a believer all week long, not just on Sunday morning. Over time, you'll develop a certain bridge, a connection with God that's always open. You'll find your frame of mind, 
your perspective on daily life changing. Combined with a disciplined approach to praying, perhaps once a day, this deliberate touching of God's fringe many times a day will bring you closer to your faith, to your God. I dropped back into the ER one more time to talk to Jackson. My plan was to chat with him. He was over his seizure and he had been successfully treated. He was alone in his ER room, but he was asleep and so there was no way I could talk to him. Chaplains do not wake people up. I did, however, stop and touch him one more time. I put a hand on his forehead and I thanked God for helping him get to the hospital in time. I also asked God to please lift Jackson up, both spiritually and physically, to bring him to a better place in life. I don't know what happened to Jackson, but I do know that when I touched him, I wasn't just helping him. I was helping myself. That's because there's another way of touching the fringe of Christ's garment. You can touch God by touching someone else who needs help. And you can touch that person physically or with words or by doing something for that person.